the context of sound. Skip, skippy. What it do? <laughs> Skip, skippy. Oh boy! Oh. Welcome back to the context of sound, everybody. It's another warm California night. Another warm California night. This is true. It's actually like gotten like to like be that perfect LA weather kind of early this year. Yeah. Um, which I'm like hoping stays this way because it is, it is absolutely perfect outside and hopefully it'll continue to stay this way. Um, so knock on wood there, I suppose. How's it going? Oh, it's just, you know, it's going. I can't, you know, everything is president fuck boy is Mm -hmm. doing his fuck boy shit, doing his fuck boy shit. But you know what? I am, uh, rejoicing in my. In another day in this in this life. This is true. You know, it's funny. I, I was having a conversation with somebody uh, yesterday just about how um, I, I have to continuously try and remind myself to just, like, uh, not allow, like, his fuckery to continue to, like, bother me that much. Um, or just the fuckery. <laughs> but at least letting, like, the continued, like, nonsense and bullshit of this world or this society like get me down you know yeah Um, i mean because it will just drive you completely insane and you know you have to like there's so much to be enraged about all the time mm -hmm. that if you choose to be enraged you absolutely have the right to stay busy and you can stay busy stay mad if i feel like for me like i have to choose serenity and happiness at some point because otherwise yeah, I mean, I, otherwise I'll be dead. It's true. It's just like it's funny because I realized that it was like getting to a point where I was just like, uh, everything sucks. Everyone sucks. I just want to sit in my bed and look at uh, dogs that I can adopt online on Pet Finder. Oh, I've been looking at babies. Do not <laughs> like don't do, do not go to foster children websites oh, if you want to make it through your day without crying. Absolutely not. I mean, I don't know why you would even do that. And then they'll have like the foster child of the week with their whole backstory and like the oh, video God. games that they like playing. See that's yeah. see that's when I turn into Josephine Baker and just like <laughs> adopt everybody and just be like, all right, come in. I mean, I've got like a two bedroom apartment here, but I can get bunk beds. We can do this. Yeah. Like, oh man. But yeah, it's it's so true. Like like needing to choose joy more often and making a point to do it because it's like yeah. sometimes you just gotta like fucking put down the phone, get off of Twitter, get off of Huffington Post or the Atlantic or whatever. I mean, Breitbart if you're like a fucking idiot or something yeah. like that. <laughs> what, but, we don't know what you're doing listening to this. Yeah, please just unsubscribe if that's the case. But <clears throat> sometimes you just gotta put that down and just be like, you know what? I don't need to know what's going on right now. It's not like because sometimes I, I find that like just the access and like the breadth of information that we have to us now like is really kind of gotten to be at a point where it's a, at a detriment to us yeah. because we have access to so much information and we become obsessed with it because like yeah it's all like really enraging and crazy stuff but like also like fuck I mean when's the last time you went outside and like lay down in the grass yeah you know and there's this ex- expectation of you if you don't if you're not on social media commenting about how you agree with how fucked up everything is all the time. Yeah. Then you start losing like woke points. Yeah. Or people start like 
well, why the fuck aren't you out here commenting? This is Sometimes true. it's because, A, I need a mental health day. Very or, true. B, I'm actually being of actual service to yeah. people in the world. I'm out in the world yeah. doing things. No, it, I think it's it's a fine balance of, I think everybody's got like they, their social media, social justice warriors in their friendship, in their friend groups, you know? The people that take, you know, their sort of job as being the sort of, uh, the, the, the proclaimer of truths and... Uh, and sort of uh, the champion for the oppressed and everything. And and I think everyone has a role and a responsibility in that as well. But, like, at the end of the day, um, if you are somebody who is, you know, like, if you are a woman or if you're queer or if you're a person of color or uh, a combination of all of the above, um, sometimes, like, your best protest is being happy despite all I of agree. that. Yeah. You know, that you choose to be like, you know what? Fuck you. Fuck all whatever horse you rat- rode it on. I'm going to sit here. And despite all of the bullshit that you're trying to do, despite uh, the all of the oppressive like and hateful rhetoric and things that are said, I'm choosing today to be happy. Yeah. I'm choosing to ignore this shit, to like let it, you know, like... And that is a way of shutting down the oppressor. It really by is. By actually succeeding being happy, moving forward, Mm -hmm. doing something that you love, succeeding in it, and being of service. I mean, you look at those Pet Finder websites or the Foster Children websites, Mm -hmm. there's plenty of people out there that need love. And like, if you can just... Wow, we got really serious, like Very right quickly. from the. I know. Right, like, wow. <laughs> uh, well, it was the lunar eclipse, the it solar is. eclipse, yeah, a partial eclipse of the sun, as I like to call it. Yeah, here in Southern California, <laughs> a partial eclipse of, of the, the sun. sun. Yeah, <laughs> which I tried to look at and like temporarily binded yourself. This yeah. is true. I mean, I think everybody did it. Like, I, I. Don't know a single person that wasn't just like, let me just sneak a real quick. Peek, you know? <laughs> it's so true. Just like, Including President Fuckboy. Well, he was, ha- you he, sent me he, that photo. He um, took a long, hearty stare. Yeah. That wasn't just like a quick peek. That was like a, you know what? Uh, I think I could best this son. Like, Moon ain't got shit on me. I'm Donald Trump. Um, mm-hmm. But... Yeah, I mean, I looked at the the eclipse uh, thing. It's funny just because, like, uh, here where we are, we're we're at in Southern California, it's like it was kind of just a partial eclipse, as we were just saying. But still, these like eclipse glasses, which <laughs> the eclipse glasses. This to me was like when it everybody was, was trying out to, Back find, to the Future too. Yeah, or like like when people were going nuts trying to find Pokemon, like Pokemon or like that. Remember, like, the Millennium uh, Beanie Baby that everybody was going all over the world for? Like, just dumb shit that, like, you really just spent $10 on a pair of paper glasses that cost 10 cents to make. Well, if you got them, like, a week ago, they were only a dollar. But because people wait. Yes. And then there was Because capitalism. Yeah, Yeah, because (laughs) capitalism. Which is why, like, if you don't get your Hollywood Bowl tickets, like, when they go on sale. Immediately. You end up paying, like, double for them. Triple. At least. It's yes. just, it's, uh, it's you're crazy. like, I don't know if I'm gonna, but you know you're going to. You know you're you going to. Don't. Yeah, and you don't because you're just like, oh, I'll which just wait. Which is why I'm like online clamoring for Solange tickets. I know the tickets that I got, which are just like decent tickets, were probably two and a half times 
what they were on when I told them. If I would have just like gone online like a normal human being and done it in time. But here's the thing. I don't know if normal human beings actually do even do that because I think all the ticket people just go on and buy them. That is true. I mean, ticket scalpers have a special place in hell, uh, yeah. in my opinion. <clears throat> and I, I, I will never understand why it is a thing. I mean, I get it. Like you, you're like, well, I mean, I didn't wait. I wasn't like wasting time. Like, I like you're doing this not for any reason other than to like extort money from people. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't appreciate the music. You probably don't even know the music. You're just like, oh, I hear this is gonna be a really popular ticket or show, so I'm just gonna buy up this entire section and sell this shit for like five times. We go from being like really serious to being really negative. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm so I'm just gonna go ahead and stop. Anyway, so let's talk about music. Which Should we is talk like, about Celine Dion first? Because we said we were gonna talk oh, we about didn't it. Talk today. about Celine Dion. Um, I mean, let's let's talk about Celine Dion. So in last week's episode, um, we briefly mentioned uh, the glow up of Celine Dion in 2017. It's the greatest thing in 2017. It's one of the few things that's been keeping me going. Um, just going online to see what Celine Dion is wearing today or yeah. at any point in time. Yeah. She had a really dynamic little leather jumps, like a overall situation that she was wearing with these Harry Carey sunglasses on. Uh, and oh, I didn't see this. This look. I mean, now that we're, we're talking about comebacks, we're going back to part two of our comebacks. I mean, yes. she doesn't, she's never been in need of a musical comeback because she's never gone anywhere. She's never gone anywhere. She's, her status as legendary has never once dipped mm-hmm. um, in my lifetime. Not once. I mean, I mean, like, she's just been around. <laughs> like, she's been, like, she's been, like, just the voice of Celine Dion and hasn't stopped. And yeah. hasn't cared. I mean, like, she's always been around. Um, and her voice... Is has, is unchangeable. Yeah. Yes, beesh. You know, she looks amazing. She looks amazing. But I just, I, it's a comeback in a way of like she's. She know, was never a husband, fashion girl though. No, she was never a never fashion, a fashion girl. girl. And like you were just saying, her husband just died. Her brother died. Her yeah. Father died all from cancer. And there she is, living her life in joy. Mm-hmm. Despite it all. Despite it all. Despite it all. She's like, you know what? I'm gonna wear some looks. And then she has been doing more than wearing. She's not looks. even just wearing. She's not them. even wearing them. She's, she's embodying them. She's, she's serving, serving them. looks. Yes, she is. Actually, <laughs> she should be. If if you look up serving looks, there should just be a picture just, of her. But just a picture of her this year. That's just it. Like popping out of the roof of a car. Yeah, she, with her legs splayed out. She uh, took over the. I think it was like the Vogue Instagram account for yes, a little and bit. It was amazing. And I just was like, fuck, I mean, I, I don't know how she's doing this. I mean, she's, like, totally in this, like, fucking, like, um, um, who am I thinking of? This Monica Bellucci, like, <laughs> phase of her life where she's just like, oh, shit, like, I'm just, like, this grown and sexy woman. Like, yeah. Um, I just, I don't know. I love it. I love she's her. She's 49. She's 49. Yeah. I mean, she's inspiring. <clears throat> she really is. Yeah. I mean, and I feel like, I think for the sake of like, if you're going to say comeback, comeback, I mean, I don't know if she's been like releasing like albums at all. I know that she's been, I mean, she's the queen of Las Vegas. I mean, whoever knows Uh, if she released any albums. I know I never bought one, but I always know that her voice stayed slaying. (laughs) Stayed slaying. And she, I remember actually, it was probably in the sixth grade, my homeroom teacher was like obsessed with Celine Dion. We always listened to her all the way, a decade of song album in (laughs) class all the time. And um, 
I remember we had like a. And is class. that how you became a homosexual? <laughs> <laughs> no, but there's a song where she was uh, she was singing. Uh, what is it? That's the way it is. That I would go around. Um, I'm gonna do it in my Celine Dion version too. <clears throat> um, I can read your mind and I know your story. Know <laughs> what you're going through, yeah. Which basically is the climb. same song as um, it's a Backstreet Boys song. I feel it's all, yeah, you're gone. I don't even know why I sing it like Aaron Neville. It's kind of like a combination of a Celine Dion and an Aaron Neville voice. Yeah. Um, but it is basically a Backstreet Boys song. Didn't she do a song with them? <laughs> I don't know. Who knows? Whatever. We just wanted to... S- just, just wanted to, again, suggest that you check out Celine Dion uh, in 2017. Because um, she's given all the girls a run for their money. Um, yeah. And everybody's been sleeping. But guess what? Um, wake the fuck up. Because, yeah. you know, probably next year at the Met Ball, she's going to like oh, she fucking will destroy scalp you all everybody. If she gets an invitation. Because... Whoever's doing the list of the Met Ball now is inviting if just like anybody s- with like anybody that has a, 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 a social media following on Snapchat. Anyway, let's not be bitter. <laughs> let's just true. be better. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, like you were saying, <laughs> um, we actually got a lot of really great suggestions uh, yes. for comeback albums yes, on Twitter. We did. Thank you so much, Twitterville. Um, there was uh, some that we were discussing. I, I had a lot of a lot of people were talking about. Um, what were some like there was the twenty twenty experience? Well, we talked that about. Somebody said what yes, we, the twenty twenty experience. JT, that was one that people suggested. Um, also, another Madonna album, Confessions on a Dance Floor. People true. were really um, supporting that one. Um, uh, Supernatural by Santana. Obviously, um, The Evolution of Robin Thicke, which I do also think is a comeback album for sure because he absolutely switched up his shit. Um, and that was a great record. Um, the new number one album in the country right now, Kesha's Kesha. album. Yes. Uh, comeback for That is for definitely sure. a comeback. Good for her. Confessions, someone said, but I don't actually think that was a comeback because 8401 was a pretty big hit. Wasn't that it? 8401? Yeah. The the one with, you don't have to call me. It's okay, oh, were they saying Confessions girl. by Usher? Yeah. Mm. I don't know if that was, conf- I doubt that that was Confessions on the dance floor. Um, yeah, there's, I mean, there's been a lot of great comeback albums. Yeah. And we're going to talk about some more today. Yeah, we're going to talk about some more today. I think, um, who would be going first? Well, I I finished. Okay. Should I go there? Yeah. Okay. We covered a lot of, like, divas in the last episode. Um, and I'm going to go in kind of a different route with actually one of my favorite albums just in general. Um, it's, it's not, like, this, like, crazy, crazy, like, game changer by any stretch of the imagination. It's just, like, a really really good album from beginning to end and it's uh the album b by common Mm. um this album came on the heels of an album that was called electric circus um it was not particularly well received whatsoever um which i think electric circus wasn't well received. no it was not oh i loved that album yeah a lot of people didn't like it i mean because obviously if you think about like when common came on the scene he was like the beacon of like conscious hip-hop you know he had a very specific sound. I mean, like Water for Chocolate was, I mean, it's a, it was a, it, an instant classic. Yeah. I mean, 
that was like hip hop as you know it, as hip hop as this generation kind of understands it to be. Uh, yeah, it was like, in like jazz. an East Coast sense, it was you like know? jazz influence, yeah. like lo fi, really bass heavy Dilla. You know? Yes. Uh, not Dilla esque, it was Dilla. Yeah. <laughs> but like um, that album was like classic, classic East Coast 90s, you know, kind of common then, uh, like personal life shit you know he hooks up with erica badu mm-hmm. um got the witch got what the witchery put on got him. all got the the brujeria like Those green eyes taking like, care yeah. and then like he all of a sudden's like you know what i want to do this like fusion experimental record uh and that's what like water that's what electric circus was i mean like if you listen to that album like it's a weird album it's a weird ass yeah. album it's all over the place yeah um there's a lot going there's on there's a lot of features there's on a it. lot of features a ton of features um, I think the probably the biggest song it was that kind came of psychedelic. Out of it. it was very really. psychedelic. I mean, even the artwork was very. The artwork was very like Beatles, yes. uh, like Sergeant Pepper. Yeah. Um, but you know, he had like a feature on I think all but one song. Um, also, there's a song on the end of that album about somebody coming out to him as gay. Do you remember this song? I think it's the last song. Heaven somewhere. Yeah. Yes. Do you remember this song? I don't remember the song, but Heaven Somewhere is the last song on on, um, Electric Circus. I think there's a lyric about, like, somebody coming out to him and, like, he had to reevaluate his whole, like, someone close to him. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. I mean, it's, if you've not listened to Electric Circus, it's definitely, like, a weird album, but it's definitely worth listening to. There's a lot of really great tracks on there. Like, the song Come Close with Mary J. Yes. I love... Uh, it's such like, but that one is probably his most common esque sounding song on the record. But uh, in general, you know, like he uh, he didn't really get a lot of critical success on that one at all, and like he it did not sell well at all. Um, there was an interview that I like looked up um, when I was reading just kind of some backstories on uh, the sort of fallout of his time with the Electric Circus, and he said that you know. <clears throat> He definitely wanted more of a response from the artistic perspective of people being like, man, he came and made new stuff and it was really good. That was some creative music and we loved it. Uh, But that's (laughs) not what I got. I didn't get the sales either. So I was disappointed. I was definitely not feeling good about how things went with that album. Um, So it it the record Electric Circus definitely like lost him some fans. I think a lot of people thought, you know, like, oh, shit, you know, like he got that like fucking erica badu voodoo like curse on him now and he thinks he's fucking Jimi hendrix so yes it um, was a very Jimi hendrix yes like moment and it was just it was a lot um and what ended up happening um was uh, a pretty a pretty sort of crazy thing was he took kind of every he stripped everything off that like wasn't necessary and like really like had like put together a really dynamic, very streamlined record. It was eleven songs, uh, produced exclusively by like like I think um, Kanye did eight eight songs on that album, and then Dilla did the other three. Um, <clears throat> and it just sounds really cohesive. Mm. Um, in general, like obviously Jay Dilla is you know uh, a prolific was a prolific producer whom uh, worked pretty extensively with Common. And uh, was an inspiration to a lot of producers, still continues to be a lot mm. of inspiration to a lot of hip hop producers, and definitely was an inspiration to Kanye. And you can kind of hear all of that through this album. So, you know, this was the first time that Common and Kanye worked together. They had never worked together beforehand. He ended up, you know, putting 
common uh, through the good music label um, after like having met some years prior um, through no ID. And yeah, so that was the kind of birth of B. Uh, B ended up becoming it's essentially like a back to basis back back to basics record for common uh, in the sense that it it ended up being very kind of consistent it was never monotonous or anything of that nature Um, I'm going to play the lead single from that album uh, called The Corner Uh, it's a great record Uh, it came out in 2005 it features uh, the Lost Poets um, whom Crazily enough, like this album was what introduced me to the Lost Poets, uh, and they, you know, were kind of on that like Gil Scott Heron mm. uh, tip of that sort of like um, proto hip hop, I guess you could kind of say it. Um, and like yeah, beat poet, yeah, like yeah. Uh, and this is the corner. Yes. This is a Kanye production? Or this is a Kanye one? production. how good that was yeah it's it's just like oh my god yeah the production on it and then i was just like sitting here like fuck man kanye used to produce the shit out of some shit he used to produce the shit out of stuff it's just and it was it's like just the textures it's so gritty his verse is incredible Mm -hmm. that's Uh, like that's that's like the best of what i love about hip-hop right there yeah it's one of those things that like he was able to he I think like when Common and Kanye got together it was just like they just amplified each other because I think is Common that from Chicago Common is from Chicago okay so they 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 were both they had from the Chicago. Chicago connection I think it really like came down to just them like a real kind of like musical partnership in the sense of mm. um, that was like Kanye really kind of that was like right after he released college dropout yeah. like this wasn't yeah you can tell it's sort this, of in this is that. brand new like hungry kanye when yeah. he like actually felt like he had something to prove and like understood like how to use samples really well yeah. like i mean yeah. like kanye obviously kind of ended up changing the game in the way in which people sampled music and more specifically soul music and it, it was it ended up like being just like this phenomenal like sonic sort of 
thing of like all these songs that like he and I don't know like it it it's it was just magical in the sense that like it wasn't trying to be anything more than it just was it was just like this is like this is like this like what he uh I'll, I'll write this thing this read this thing about what he said the concept behind the album was he said I named it B to be who you are man and be able <laughs> say that again I named it B to be who you are man and to be able to be in the moment and not try too hard B is another way of saying just do without trying hard. Like I said, be natural and be true to the core of who you are. And this album I wanted to be and to not just go and exist as just an artist, not worried about the past. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, The Corner in general um, was just a great song because it was just kind of obviously um, he ended up being able to like bring in, you know, the last poets who, again, they're just uh, this like sort of spoken word uh <clears throat> funk soul outfit from like the 70s and 60s and obviously like they, they they speak in such powerful language and you know he said that they took his song to another level and that's what hip-hop was about was about to, is about to him is like it would have a message it would take you to a new place and i think that he said that them being from the 70s and being used in hip-hop regularly and their spirit kind of brought something more pure to the actual song and the idea of what the corner is obviously is just kind of like it's a kind of a mainstay staple in the black community uh, in general. Obviously, like anybody that, you know, for those that aren't familiar with like black American like culture in the sense that like the corner is just like really just this thing. That's where people congregate. It's where like your neighborhood elders and people are at or like your dope boys or whomever the fuck you want to say is there. It's it's a mm. it's a cultural sort of uh, meeting ground. Uh, that manifests itself in different ways in different communities and different neighborhoods, but it's still kind of like this. Uh, as as the as one of the last poets says, it's it's our rock of Gibraltar. It's like our cornerstone upon which like everything else flows. And I think that this whole album, in a lot of ways, is it it celebrates a, a bunch of shit from like the black experience to black love to like black sort of transgressions and hopes and fears and different things like that. And I don't know, it's mm. just really good. Uh, but then also too, I appreciate this particular song in general, obviously, because like I, as as kind of um, sort of suspect as the last poets can be or have been, and you can look into like their history and their their discography as as you as you'd wish. Uh, there's a lot of good stuff there. But they um, definitely, you know, when I was like 15 years old, when this or how old was I when this came out? Like seven, 16 or 17 or something. Um, and, you know, getting into my, like, <clears throat> like, sort of like, uh, I wouldn't say I never, I was ever like a black militant or anything like that, but just getting into like your black consciousness of being like, oh shit, you know, like what being black actually means here. Uh, it was really great to like, ex to like be introduced to like the last poets and through them, like people like Gil Scott Heron and mm. Amiri Baraka and a bunch of other different people like that, whom, um, definitely helped me in understanding, you know. Uh, like the black experience as it relates to like a, a like generations past and mm. then obviously also understanding my own self through their experiences. Um, but that's the corner. Mm. Um, the next song was like a bit more lighthearted. Uh, it is, uh, it was written uh, with Kanye and then uh, also John Mayer, um, uh, who is funnily enough, <laughs> it says, um, Featuring John Mayer on the album, despite the fact that he says one word the whole time. But maybe he played guitar. Oh, no, I know what song you're talking about. Go. Go, 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 hey. go, go. And on the count of three. Go, 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 go. go. And on the count of three. Go, go. 
everybody run back to your fantasy now. Go, 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 go. And on the count of three. Go, 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 go. And on the count of three. Go, 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 go. And on the count of three. Everybody run back to your fantasy now. She was up bad, uh. The type at the club niggas would grab, huh? Fantasize when I had her in the bathroom, sweating with her ass up. The body of a dancer. We had chemistry 'cause she was a cancer. Thought forever it would last for, but forever moved faster. So I had to. Still I got the pause when I think about her in them drawers and her. Ooh baby, she liked it raw and like rain when she came and poured it. Like a car that I can't afford, I will want it, they want some more. Let's go. Oh my god, I forgot how good it is. It's a good ass song. Um, uh, let's go. Obviously, like I said, that features uh, John Mayer, uh, like slaying the vocals with his one word. <laughs> He um, does have really nice tone. <laughs> you know what's? I've great? always loved his tone. Say what you want about John Mayer, but. The man can play the fuck out of a guitar oh, better than most people. Absolutely. And he can write a good song and yeah. he's got amazing tone. Like Yes. Uh, he's a douchebag, but Continuum he does have is tone. a is a great record. It yeah. just is. I, I welcome a challenge to that. Uh, and also like that's why so many soul and hip hop dudes fuck with him so hard. Because they know he's talented. Yeah. I mean everybody does. I mean uh, an asshole maybe a douchebag definitely but like uh the dude's a phenomenal musician yeah uh, i will never ever doubt that um but i was reading on the wikipedia page for the song that common kanye and john mayer were inspired to create this song after they went to go see the movie ray together mm. huh um uh, they all headed to the confusing. studio uh it's very weird um but yeah that's go but in general uh that was a massive hit for uh i love that those dudes all went to see ray together i know can like, you imagine hey john what are you doing oh hey kanye um yeah let me just comment in the Were other room they, like Let's... group text messaging on their <laughs> t-mobile sidekicks and just being like <laughs> wait what year was this 2004 oh okay yes so they it was definitely absolutely were absolutely a t-mobile sidekick yes or maybe it was like a blackberry pearl or something or, like that um or uh, what was those the razor oh yes <laughs> yes a, a moto razor <laughs> yes i once got like a i had a <gasps> i had a raspberry you had a raspberry one of those uh, like the little pink one <laughs> yes. yes i had the pink one too and i like covered up because my sister's old phone and i covered it up with the duct tape because i hate the color pink and because you know like homophobia is a real thing yeah internalized uh, <laughs> <laughs> And um, yeah, so like I said, and how go. did that perform commercial? I mean, I remember that being on the radio a lot, and like I remember that being a big hit. It said that it was it reached number seventy nine on the Billboard Hot One Hundred, uh, and uh, it was uh, pretty like critically like kind of well acclaimed. But as far as far as it's like charting success, it was that. But uh, people said this about it: you know, Go is a requisite mid tempo jam, lovey with punches. Of Go, lightly echoed throughout, while Kanye tosses in the hype man, uh, and on the count of three. Uh, and then, obviously, they say Common rides the rhythm with a natural ease and earns points for making a slow rap jam that isn't about uh, those outdated cross-pollination numbers uh, featuring the flavor of the day female crooner. Um, mm. It's a it's a great song, but in general, like this was it kind of cemented the album uh, as uh, one of those things that it 
it, it became like a really big hit in 2006. Uh, he won Lyricist of the Year Award at the BET Hip Hop Awards. Uh, in 2012, Complex actually called this album one of the most one of the classics of the early 2000s. It was also included in a book uh, called 1001 Albums You Must Hear Before You Die. Um, <clears throat> it was overall uh, nominated uh, in four categories at the 2006 uh, Grammy Awards uh, for Best Rap Album, Best Rap Performance uh, by a Duo or a Group uh, for The Corner, uh, and the Best Rap Song Collaboration for a song called They Say, um, which I want to play because this is, um, <laughs> it's a great little Dilla kind of beat. They say what's happening, we say the facts, and then they lie. We coming back for them, they might say, but they don't know. They say, they say, they don't know. They say a nigga lost his mind, but in the scheme of things, I never lost the rhyme. The thin line between love and hatred, I'm the black pill in the matrix saturated life they say life is what you make it so i wait quick on a spaceship so i can take it it's high as the stakes get when paper get low i be telling Derek, tell kara get us a show little calm i make righteous bitches get low the richest man ain't necessarily the nigga with dope they say you went wild yeah that's what they say my niggas couldn't tell it was me like jamie and ray painting the day with focus grind bras and good wine they say dope is sour so it's homework and hood crimes i stood mine for forever and a day so goodbye they never Say, mm. You know, uh, that's I love a good Dilla beat. Uh, so yeah, I mean, uh, so when um, Dilla died in two thousand eight, yeah. I think, yeah, um, which so. uh, Common talked about a bit in his follow up to this uh, record, Finding Forever, which is also a really good album if you haven't listened to that, because um, <clears throat> he like him and Dilla were very close, obviously. Um, also, like I love. John Legend in that lane so yes. much. Like yes, when he was still doing like R and B music. When he's doing R and B, and like it's not corny. It's not. It's just like really. It feels really authentic mm-hmm. and not overthought. Not like trying to write a pop song. Yes, I love it when it's he's not overdone, just, not yes. overproduced, not o- like yeah, like just crooning with his with that vo- with that velvety voice, and he's not <sighs> over singing, and yes. he's just. Anyway, he's not John not... Legending it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to play one more song quickly because um, I've obviously been talking about this album for a while. Um, it's a song called Testify. I love it. The music video is amazing. It was like kind of like this long form music video that he put together uh, with Taraji P. Henson in it. Uh-huh. And uh, it features uh, a, a sample from this song that I love called Innocent Until Proven Guilty, which... Uh, is I'm going to play a little bit of before I play the actual song because she sangs this song. Let me testify. Oh, yes. You accuse me of another man Before you let my love away yes! Let me take the witness stand I'm innocent oh, I'm innocent oh, Till proven guilty Yes. Before So that's, that's a, a great sample that's choice. such a great sample choice. Yes. Honeycomb, Innocent Until Proven Guilty, find it. 
but Testify is a great song. It's kind of like in the vein of like um, Trapped in the Closet uh, a little bit. It's an epic. It's an epic. Yes. Even though it's only two and a half minutes long. <laughs> Walked in the court, her knees buckled Saying for a man to survive, he need hustle Seen and been through struggle a whole life Made a transition from being his hoe to his wife Stifling, the night had been the ATF busting Her daddy was a hustler, so she loved him Looked at the jury, how can they judge him? She screamed Okay, yeah. But like I said, get into this album. Uh, yes, it is... I'm going to. Like, I, for, I forgot how oh, uh, yeah. good that album it's is. So and good. I feel like that sound and that production, like I'm so ready for like more organic beat-driven, bass-heavy, like sample-heavy or like hip-hop productions to yes. come back. Yes, I mean, it's... Not, it's... That they, not that they haven't been around entirely. I mean, uh, Kendrick's done a lot. But it's turned into but so. Now it's 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 not. It was like really. dipped his toe in yeah. and then it was gone. It's out. It's like yeah. it became such a mainstay uh, in hip hop in the like early aughts, uh, and oh, it was all that was, like especially like all the Philly stuff yeah. too. Like remember Freeway? Yes. <laughs> I mean, like I I I I don't know. I I understand that. I think like producers started like wanting to just like obviously like work with their own shit and do their own shit but yeah there's something really amazing about because if you really think about it, the foundation of hip-hop is sampling it's you sam- know like absolutely it, that is what it, it it is built off of is soul, you know disco jazz, soul, disco, samples. jazz samples uh being you know put together and spiced together over break beats and 808s and all kinds of other shit like that and like um, and and that's why we, your lyrics had to be so on point. Exactly. Because that was what you were bringing. Yes. Yeah. Because that's all you had to do. Yeah. Because like the music was there. The yeah. music was already built in being great. And you had one job to do. You had one job to do, which Bring is some just... brilliant lyrics. And that's And you couldn't do it. Much. And you that's couldn't do it. too much. It's <laughs> <laughs> asking way too much. But I'm, I'm hoping that it does come back in a real way because I think that like... While whilst I absolutely love, you know, a lot of the hip hop producers that are out now, um, I think they really a lost, lot of them still want to be Dilla. Yeah, but they a lot of people have just lost the ability of like sample of like or they just don't want to pay. This is very true. They can't pay or and can't they afford won't pay. to, and they won't pay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but all this to say, I I, I do welcome uh, more sampling back into hip hop because I think that it um, like that kind of it was uh, an uh, a part that kind of made that sort of cl- like the 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 best parts of hip hop of the early aughts, like what it was, and also hip hop beforehand, and like through the '90s and through the '80s. Uh, and I think I wish that I hope that we come back to that. Yeah. Anyways, that's uh, amazing. Be by Common. Uh, yeah. Such a great album. It is. The other day I was in. Um, okay. Um, so I'm going to do an album by one of my absolute top three most favorite artists of all time. Mm -hmm. Somebody that I love so dearly, whose, whose music has never left my speakers really for more than 
I don't know, a month or two tops mm-hmm. um, <laughs> since I was a teenager, like really influenced me as as a vocalist, as an arranger, as a songwriter. Um, and I think is just one of the biggest geniuses in music of all time. Mm-hmm. And was somebody that I didn't ever think would make another record because... He didn't need to. Because he didn't need to. <laughs> and I didn't know that it was that he was capable of it. Yeah. As many didn't. Or wanted to. And the last time he had put out an album, he left everybody with this. Silence? <laughs> God damn it. Oh, God. God damn it. Floods. <laughs> Just gush, gushings. Just every basement is flooded. Well, it stopped. It stopped. But like but there we go. Hey. Girl is only you. Have it your way. And if you want, you can decide. Hey. I don't know. Mercury is is in full swing and retrograde. All kinds of things right now. But anyway, that was D'Angelo with Untitled. How does it feel from the two thousand and one two thousand album album Voodoo, Voodoo. which I'm pretty sure D'Angelo is the only person that can legitimize mumbling in a song. Well, I hate fucking mumbling, except when he does it. Yeah. Yeah, that is so true. He's the only person who can get away with mumbling. And also, I think, too, because like when you find out what he's actually mumbling, you're like, shit, shit. that's good. Yeah, that's profound. <laughs> yeah, it's not like it's not like a little yachty situation where you're like, is that actually a sentence? Like, oh, you're mumbling because you're embarrassed that your yeah, lyrics are you're whack. You're mumbling because you don't actually know what you're saying. You yeah. just figure it out after the fact. Yeah. Anyways. No, but it's true. He did have this, especially beginning with this album, this very, well, no, even on his debut, like mm-hmm. he had a very like... You had to listen. See, that's why I think I listened to him so much is because you had to listen had over, to listen and, over, over and, and over again to figure out what the fuck he was yeah, singing. Yeah, this is true. <laughs> and when you figured it out, you were always like, man, that is profound. It's beautiful. It's poignant. It's poignant. Yes. It's eloquent. It's delicious. It's delightful. It's powerful. Spectacular. It's mm-hmm. powerful. And profound. Yes. And just fucking do it to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, this... Um, so he came out with that album. It was his second album, and it just blew everybody away. It sold uh, millions of copies. Mm-hmm. It um, cemented him as cemented like, him as a as a legend. As a legend. Yeah, I mean, if he'd, if he'd only made the Brown Sugar album, I think he would have still had a fan base, and people have loved that record. It's an amazing That's record. True. But this album really was like, okay, this guy is one of the most incredible artists yeah. of of our time. I mean, it was like, I, I wouldn't you say that. Voodoo kind of came out of left field for a lot of people. I think like for people, me it did. For I mean like, I, and obviously like I mean I was you know like barely of purchasing age by the time this <laughs> when this time when this album came out. 
Um, but I still remember it. I mean, it was just like this. What were you, like 11 or 12? I was like, yeah, I was 12. Um, but I just remember it being this moment of like, um, just like everyone was like, holy shit. Like, yeah. D did his fucking yeah. thing. Because he did. I mean, like, that was a. Because the production on it was so good. The players on it were so good. Yes. You know, you had like incredible players like Questlove mm-hmm. playing on the drums. Uh, Pino on the bass, just he had this band that he put together called the Soulquarians. Mm-hmm. And then there was the Untitled Music video, which was a thing that yes. people uh, which, still talk was about. It, was David LaChapelle directed it? Or Did he? Uh, so, Sounds like something he would do. Who directed that video? There was a, God, who is it? There's like some pop punk band um, that some like skinny white kid who Oh, Panic at the Disco did like a D'Angelo-esque video and he's like this scrawny little guy. Panic at the Disco is what um, Azalea Banks called me on Twitter. (laughs) 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 That is actually a good one. (laughs) Oh no, okay. The, The video was directed by Paul Hunter actually. Paul Hunter. Yeah, who's done some pretty interesting videos. Um, one he did for Bjork that was amazing for Which the video one? Hunter, where she like becomes a bear. Ooh. Yeah. I need to watch that video again. I haven't seen that one in a long time. I, I feel some... like I just made that up entirely, actually. Yes. No, she had like. Uh... No. Paul Hunter has done like Aaliyah, Pharrell, TLC, Timberlake, Lenny Kravitz, Michael Jackson. He didn't do that Bjork video. Okay. Still, I need to watch the Bjork video. So he releases a music video okay, which well, launched a thousand wet just dreams. Chop all that up. Yeah. That was just like a bunch <laughs> that of that. Thing. <clears throat> so yeah, so the so and then he put out this video of where he was like butt naked, glistening and glossy. Just melanin on, like yeah. firing on all cylinders. Yes. Gosh. And um so he became this like sex symbol. Mm-hmm. And he be- and that in a way overshadowed the music for a lot of people. Yeah. Um and that was part of I think what spawned part of the downfall was that he started to feel really insecure and there was i mean stories of him going on tour and like not wanting to go on stage because he didn't feel swole enough and he would be back there he had weights on the tour and he would like be running late and they'd be saying d you gotta go on stage like the show's running late Mm -hmm. and he'd be backstage doing like curls and push-ups and stuff because he he felt insecure yeah felt that he had to be live up to this that music video and yeah. be this all these women and men yeah surely had shown up to see him like Everybody. glistening in the spotlight yeah yeah um because he was this god he was a god i mean and, and it's like it's crazy that like that can be you with like a lot of people i don't think well especially somebody like him whom i don't think ever expected or or wanted any of that but for some for that type of attention to be such a a prison in a lot of ways yeah especially when somebody who like d'angelo who like i think is a very serious musician and takes what he does yes very he doesn't very need seriously, that gimmick has no interest in it yeah um and how that can be like really defeated like when you're really proud of the work that you're doing but the thing that people are there to see is to see your body yeah rather than to actually like appreciate, appreciate the genius your of your music and listen yeah. to your words and yes yeah so that was a big issue. And so after he kind of had come off that album and that tour and the success of that, the huge success, the critical ravings of it, um, 
he a close friend of his died in 2001 and he that was apparently when his drinking and drug use sort of started to escalate Mm -hmm. and he dipped out of the spotlight and he started to gain a lot of weight people hadn't really seen him Mm -hmm. he was um living sort of mysteriously in virginia and which is where he's from. Oh, okay, that yeah. makes sense. I was yeah. like, "What? Who just electively chooses to live in Virginia?" <laughs> That's where he's from. <laughs> I know, but like, I just figured it was like if he wasn't from there, like, like he was really trying to dip out. You really trying to dip out? Yeah. Just going to Appalachia <laughs> in the mountains, like growing like a full-on beard. Yep. <laughs> but he kind of did. I mean, and then there was pictures surfacing surfaced of him being arrested. He was mm-hmm. in a DUI. He got arrested and. That was the first time people had seen him in a long time and he mm-hmm. was extremely overweight yeah uh looked like he hadn't bathed looked he looked kinda, really rough he looked really rough yeah look you could tell he'd been doing a lot of hard drugs and drinking mm-hmm. and he was not this sex he wasn't symbol D'Angelo of, of yesteryear yeah um and because it had already but at that point been been several years since the since the work had uh since the third album mm-hmm had supposed to have made people sort of like, oh, you know, he's like washed up and we don't know if ever it's going to happen. Um, his record company pulled funding. Yeah. Um, his record la- was, his record deal was sort of then acquired by J Records. And there had been years and years and years of rumors um, that it was in the works, that mm-hmm. it was coming, mm-hmm. starting with, let's see, in 2005, he checked into rehab Um he started working on like collabs with artists like Dilla, Snoop Dogg. Um, he was on Commons Finding Forever in 2007, mm-hmm. which you just mentioned. Q-Tips, The Renaissance, which is another great album. Great album. But he still hadn't, you know, bought out anything original or new of his own. Mm-hmm. So he'd been recording and attempting to play every single instrument um, and had become obsessive and was like trying to make the sort of parliament Beatles, Prince, Jimi Hendrix moment. I feel like everyone goes through this, like Jimi Hendrix, like I'm gonna be raw and play all the instruments and be crazy, be like super experimental and just like fucking like psychedelic. No, it's a thing. I mean, like I feel like if you're a musician, like uh, in the sense of like you are, like you have an instrument that you play, uh, inevitably you're gonna get to this point of like want like psychedelic music because it's really just this like, I think it's like this free form kind of. Yeah, but it's rebellious. It's it, yeah, and it's just like there's limitless kind of things in which you can do in that. That everyone's just like, I just want to make something to see that fits. Like we can't all be, you know, like we can't all be the Mahavishnu Orchestra. We can't like make this like <laughs> crazy like Carlos Santana shit or something like that, mm-hmm. where you just have like all these like wild rides that you're taking yourself on. And I think even sometimes like the point of like what Common was trying to do with Electric Circus that like even if it is decent. Like, it doesn't translate well because your fans aren't going to get it. Yeah. Um, yeah, because it lacks the structure. And especially yeah. if you're especially if you're from a music genre that's, like, very beat, mm-hmm. production-driven. Mm-hmm. Um, so that those... was the rumors yeah. that he was working on this. No one had heard it. Until 2007, when Questlove, who was playing drums on the project at the time, leaked an unfinished track on Triple J Radio in Australia entitled Really Love. This is back in 2007. Damn, I didn't know that came out in 2007. Well, he leaked it. I mean, like, that he leaked it. it. The track was an acoustic-flavored jam with a laid-back swing feel, and the him leaking the track apparently soured their relationship. Oh, wow. And Questlove was then sort of removed from working on the album. 
Um, but let's hear, um, so that song years later ended up going on the album in, and this is its form. This is the form in which, uh, it exists today. I mean, talk about an intro. Mm-hmm. Just that deep ass bass. such a it's such a good song like the whole like the pro, like when it comes down to it in an, an intro of a song like to go on such a journey yes like he takes you on such a journey before the song actually really even fucking starts yes it like where the fuck did that come from you know what i mean like how did you like you well it took some time it absolutely (laughs) took some time (laughs) so that had been leaked in its in its demo or its original form Mm -hmm. in 2007 and um came out seven years later (laughs) came out seven years later so his new manager at the time after that had emerged said this is and and i quote he's able to smile again and he's ready to connect with fans he's coming back and he looks great by the way Mm. Mm because that matters <laughs> um and said that there was an album coming as as yet again no album materialized and no tour happened then in february 2010 a new track called a thousand deaths appeared on the internet but was swiftly removed due to copyright claims by um D'Angelo, d'angelo's uh, legal team 
So another song that ended up actually being on the album that somehow had leaked um, years earlier. Mm-hmm. And this is right around the time when he went on that, like he did a few shows with Questlove, right? Um, it was a cu- still a couple years before that. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so, that, I mean, the reason, one of the reasons why I think this is one of the ultimate comeback records and is such a great comeback record is because the journey to it yeah. was so winding and yeah. long, like yes, and labored, yeah. and and just like I had just given up. Yeah, I was like, okay, I can deal with it because he's left two perfect albums yeah and he he did his job in the sense and like you get why he's like hung up on it you know it's like uh, excuse me it's like um there's no real i mean you can't really ask more uh for some uh, from him uh, from like brown sugar and voodoo like those are two amazing amazing yeah. amazing you records. did your and, job like, while you would want more it's like totally understandable if somebody was just to walk away from it or just like not really want to to follow up follow that up at all yeah um yeah um and then in january 2011 uh there was an update from one of the people that was working on the record russell elevato said since my last post i have continued sessions with d'angelo we've just finished up five months of recording d has been doing some vocals and guitars we've had pino paladino back in for some bass tracks also Questlove came in to jam with d and pino they've reunited after seven or eight years we're taking a few months back um, while I take care of some other projects that have been on the back burner. So 2011. So I'm like, okay, cool. Yeah. So like, well, it's finally yeah. like, yeah. <laughs> um, 2011, later that year, December, Questlove said D'Angelo was, quote, finishing his lyrics now, end quote. <laughs> <laughs> um, then in November 2011, actually just before that, he announced uh, some 2012 European tour dates. Um, which actually I got to see because I, I did a festival. I was on the bill, like way down below him, like on a festival bill in Finland. Mm-hmm. And after my set, I went and watched him. And that yeah. was amazing. Full band? Full band. Like, nice. yeah, like 12 piece yeah. show. Shit. Me and Vula and Brendan were like getting, your getting entire our entire lives. lives. Yes. Yeah. Just scalp. <clears throat> um, but still no record. Mm-hmm. But he had, he was playing some of the songs from this album on that tour. Um, uh, one of them was the charade, which we've played uh, before on this show yes. in our protest songs. We're gonna play it fucking again We're because play it's some that good. Now. Some peak mumbling as well. Oh yeah.
and the and the irony is that he's mumbling it, but it's like a lyrical masterpiece. Yes, it is. If you haven't read the lyrics of that song, uh, you should just pause this and read them real quick. Yeah, uh, because I think, especially in the context of 2017, it still it still rings very very true. Yeah, um, and the song. Yeah, exactly. The song is about. Um, police violence against black people Mm -hmm. and that sort of being one of the main reasons the album was rushed and surprisingly released without any promotion yeah um the album was scheduled to be released in 2015 but um on december 12th 2014 d'angelo's manager shared a 15 second teaser of the album on youtube two days later the track sugar daddy um premiered at 3 a.m um as part of on Red Bull's website, which was really weird. Mm-hmm. And then the album just materialized. Yeah. It just was like, poof, it was online. Yeah. It just like, no one knew it said, was coming. His, I think we talked about it in the episode that we covered it, and he was just like, I just felt like the time was right right now. Yeah. So I was like, we're dropping this right now. It's supposed exactly. to come out later, but... Yeah, it, yeah. like the thing, like the Eric, um, Garner, Eric Garner thing just had happened. just happened. Yeah. And, you know, Ferguson, mm-hmm. it was like sort of Still that year. Yeah. And it just felt like this boiling point had reached in the country and yeah. and then there the album was and, and God, sort of like how necessary was it though, all. you know like i remember listening to it and <clears throat> just um like you were saying like d'angelo's obviously just kind of like this um he's a legend he's a god but it's also in the sense that like wow to make something so poignant and so like uh, just powerful uh, after like you know 15 years of, of people waiting for music from you and mm. for that record to be such a labor of love throughout that time and for it to also just be so incredibly like uh, dynamic mm. like as, when it came out to be like oh like this song you've been working on for seven years and this applies to my life and to this world and this society and this culture at this point in time mm. God, yes, it's profound. It felt like, yeah, I mean, it's that is divine timing. Absolutely. Like this album, this work of art by D'Angelo was like appointed yes. to be released time. into the world at this specific time. Mm-hmm. And it was like this incredible healing. Mm-hmm. Um, it really was. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I just couldn't believe it was out. Didn't leave the house. Oh, for I remember days, our, just like living. Yeah. Oh, I, we talked about yeah. this. Like we, had, like I just a, had my headphones in. <laughs> on, I was like, tried it out on all my different headphones. Yep. <laughs> just sat, just laying in the dark, just like listening to it. Like I don't want to talk to anybody about it. I don't want to hear anybody. I don't want to see anybody. I just need to sit and be with this music. Yeah, yeah. It and was, my feelings. And your feelings. And I definitely remember crying. Like, oh, oh yes. my god. Um, the album was met with like unanimous praise. <laughs> Um, which must have felt so nice to right. like sort of, I mean, imagine not putting out an album like for 15 years and knowing that everyone's waiting for it. Yeah. I mean, it'd be terrifying. Dude, I mean, like. It's like, well, I already waited 10. What's another 10? Yeah. And then it was like, oh, that's it? If, like, that's what you would think people would do. But like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's got to be no better feeling than like to overcome, especially like to do so to like re- uh, critically acclaimed and well-received album um but also to do so on like after 
overcoming like your insecurities and your issues and like your addictions and your vices and things mm. like that and to uh, get back to a place where you feel confident enough to even release music or to make it in general and then release it on top of that and then for it to even like to be well received yeah God, that's got to be the best feeling yeah yeah yes i'm sure um so yeah it, it debuted at number five it sold 117,000 copies in its first week in the u.s um and uh it received like pretty much unanimous praise across all everywhere yeah everywhere yeah. um enemy magazines angus Beatty appraised it as one of the year's best albums and a richly detailed enduring record that repays a decade and a half and a half's faith and patience, mm. which it's um, a good way to put that. This is a nice way to put that. Um, it won the Grammy for best R and B album of the year. Um, it should have won record of the year in it my should opinion. Have. Album of the year, record of, <laughs> record the, of the, year. the year. Just give All it everything. Best fucking country duo by a group. <laughs> <laughs> he wins. Um, so best spoken word album. He wins. I wanted to play like a second of Back to the Future um, because it, in this song he sort of addresses his mis his missing, mm -hmm. the missing years mm -hmm. um, and uh, talks about his body the way it used to be. Mm -hmm. um, I love this song. It's a great song. It's so like Juke Joinish. And it's just, uh, it's comical. Yeah. It's like, poignant yet. Black Messiah by D'Angelo. What more can you say? That is, to me, that's the, the that's comeback a, of all comebacks. That's the comeback. That is a, yeah, I don't know. I can't argue against it. That's Lazarus levels. I mean, that is <laughs> Lazarus that is levels, Lazarus of comeback. levels comeback. That is absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. All right. I'm going to oh, just like. La Lazarus levels come back. <laughs> Should we do um, 
Because we're already like an hour ten. <clears throat> okay. Uh, this next one I'm going to do, uh, I just decided on the way here, actually, um, because I didn't like the other one that I was doing anymore. Um, this one is like a weird kind of comeback because it's really just kind of a comeback that's like based in the U.S. Like this person, I'm going to talk about Robin in the Body Talk oh, album. Oh, amazing. Um, <clears throat> because obviously like Robin was uh, a big deal uh, in the mid-late 90s in the U.S., you know, with uh, Do You Really Want Me? And then, uh, what is it, Show Me? Show Me Love. Show Me Love. Uh, yeah. Why did I forget Show that name? Show Me Love. Um, she was big, like that was a, those are two massive hits, two top ten hits in the U.S. in the late '90s. Uh, she went on to continue to be like very popular in the U.K. and in Sweden uh, with her two following albums. After that, um, she had the song uh, with every heartbeat that kind of got some chart uh, love in the U.S. in, in 2005. Mm. Um, yeah, it was number one in the it, it was number one UK. in the U.K. It was yeah. like a massive hit over there. She yeah. continued to be very successful, but. In the U.S. in general, I think a lot of people, especially like in the pop uh, music landscape, which is kind of where she started out in like a pop R&B sound, were kind of really unhip to the this new kind of electro pop sound that Robin was uh, had kind of turned into. I think a lot of like even in her European markets between. Um, uh, the album, her self-titled album, Robin, that came out in 2005, where she kind of really switched up her sound. A lot of people were like, what the fuck is this? Uh, I mean, obviously it was still successful, but in the U.S., like, uh, there was like a real drop-off in kind of people's awareness of Robin and what she was doing and who's, like, what she was up to. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, like I said, like, uh, with Every Heartbeat was, like, came out in 2005, uh, while it did really well and was number one in the UK, um, it uh, peaked at like number 28 uh, here on the dance charts. Um, but then she came swinging back through uh, with uh, the, her Body Talk record, which was actually her seventh album, uh, despite, uh, I think, not really releasing that many because uh, her middle two didn't actually get released in the U.S. Oh, really? Um, like the Robin album didn't get released in the U.S. To th- till, until 2008 or 2009, which was like years after it had kind of come through uh, in uh, into like, after it like dropped in the in Europe. Um, but yeah, I want to talk about Body Talk because this is like it came out in 2010 it was a phenomenal pop record. It was really well received. Uh, it was uh, well toured. I went to go see this show, mm. and after like literally having not heard a single thing of Robin uh, since the late '90s, uh, and <clears throat> I was like blown away by it. And like, um, she released a handful of really, really, really uh, well performing album uh, uh, singles from this. Uh, and I'm gonna play a couple now. Uh, the first one is. Uh, was the title, not the title track, it was like the sort of lead single that was released uh, in 2010 uh, called uh, Dancing On My Own. Yes.
such yeah, a good chorus. It's a great chorus. Um, yeah, that's Dancing on My Own, uh, written and produced by Robin. Uh, it, she says it's kind of inspired by uh, classic disco a- anthems by Ultravox, Sylvester, Don- Donna Summers. She said that, like, uh, it was inspired by her love of inherently sad gay disco anthems. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> which it really is, if you yeah. think about it. Oh, yeah. It's uh, such it's a sad totally dance anthem. Totally a sad dance anthem. Yeah. Which is like... I'm in the corner watching, watching you kiss her. <laughs> oh. It's so... <laughs> Sad, like when you listen I'm to right it, over here. Yeah, why, why can't, can't you, you see, see me? me? <laughs> oh, I'm giving it my all, but I'm not the girl you're taking home. Oh, god, I'm just damn dancing on my own. It is a devastating song, yeah. It's a kind of a it is a dance like anthem for those who feel like they're on the outside looking. This in. is very true, yeah. Of that, like, and I think that's why. Yeah, that's why it like struck a chord and people love that it. song. Yeah, I think everybody had a moment with that song. Like, yeah. Especially like, um, you know, like as this idea of like unrequited love or, you know, like wanting something so bad that you can't have or someone so bad that you can't have. And like have, everyone's had that moment at the club. I mean, if you were somebody who went to bars or clubs, everyone's had that moment where you saw somebody that you were into that was into somebody else. And you're just like, yeah. fuck. It's true. I'm going to have fun, but I'm just going to like... You know, it's like it was kind of uh, inspired by like Ultravox's song Dancing with Tears in My Eyes, Mm. uh, which is very much so in the same vein of that. Um, This song was really, really, really popular in 2010. Uh, There are a number of of, uh, publications and um, music critics that uh, put this in the top of their list. Slant Magazine named it the best song of 2010. Guardian named it the best song of the year as well. Uh, Pitchfork named it the fourth best song of 2010. Haters. Uh, I know. Always. <laughs> Just will never give somebody their propers. <laughs> it was cool for what it was, but it wasn't all that. Um, they called her the Rocky Balboa of pop music, however. Wow. Yeah. Rolling Stones named it the 26th best song of 2010. Um, MTV uh, uh, said it was number six of the best songs. Uh, the Village Voice... Uh, also said that it was uh, on the top of their list. Uh, it was nominated for a Grammy uh, that year in 2010, which, weirdly enough, it lost out to Only Girl in the World by Rihanna, which is absolutely huh. shocking to me. That is really shocking. Yeah. Payola, because David Guetta produced that. Oh, there you go. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, so, yeah, I mean, like, that was Dancing on Your Own. Did really well. Uh, it really kind of uh, was her first, like, another massive big hit in the U.S. after kind of, and like on like the top like Hot 100, that kind of brought her back into like the general sort of like pop music landscape. Mm. Because again, like uh, throughout the early 2000s, she had really kind of existed as like a, a dance club kind of act, uh, at least like with regard to like her U.S. chart performance. Like she was in yeah. the clubs. Yeah. Um, but I feel like even, yeah, even... Um, like the the Robin album, which is before that, that was sort of considered a comeback for her in the UK because since uh, from the late nineties yeah. when she had her like sort of young teen yes. pop moment, yeah. until then she really hadn't broke broken through. Yeah, there. she had this weird record in ninety nine that I try I listened to today and it was it was decent, but it was definitely like kind of in between because like. Like with the Robin record, that was like her being like, "Okay, I'm doing this." That was her like establishing herself as a new artist, really. And she started her own record record company. Konnichiwa. And um, we toured together on that really album. Yeah, we did a 
we did a UK tour together for like a few weeks. Okay. Um, and I was opening for yeah. her. And she was the best. I bet. Like such a such a such a lovely person and such a um, such a talented performer, such a great performer. I like so much energy. A lot of tours I've done with people, I would not watch them every night. But yeah, I watched her every night. She puts on such a good show. Yeah, she puts on such a great show. I've seen her a couple times now, and like, and she's a sweetheart. I bet. I bet. <clears throat> so that was her first uh, single from this album. The second one I want to talk about is uh, a really funny, sweet, but also another sad song. Uh, and an amazing music video as well. Uh, it's the song Call Your Girlfriend. Yeah, another sad dance song. Mm -hmm. Call your girlfriend. This, this was the album. Was this about a lot of sad things? Let's call your girlfriend. Um, she can write the shit out of a melody. She can write the shit out of a melody. Uh, I think it's because she's Swedish. You think so? They just they they just have this like. That is kind of true. They just have this melody thing. Yeah, I wonder if it's just like a like a. There must be some sort of cultural thing attached to it, like folk music. They're like Swedish folk music or yeah. something like that. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so. I was trying to pronounce this earlier, and I, I don't want to fuck it up because it's the name of the Swedish, uh, like like how we have Billboard here as like our music charts. This is the name of of, of it in Sweden is the uh, Sveriga Topplistan, I believe. Sveriga Topplistan. Sveriga Topplistan. <laughs> okay, you could have just said that. Sveriga Topplistan. Sveriga Topplistan. Okay. Just let me just mispronounce people's fucking words all left and right here. <laughs> fucking crazy. <laughs> Anyways, uh, that was uh, a, um, a that song. Oh, fucking talk. Call your girlfriend performed really well on there. Uh, obviously, in the United States, it reached number one. It was her highest peaking song. Wow. Uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, it was nominated for a Grammy the following year. Uh, of her previous nomi Grammy nomination for the same album, which is kind of <laughs> nuts. Uh, but yeah, I mean, in general, this album was, uh, people uh, said that it's uh, a testament of Robin's truly forward-thinking take on contemporary pop music and uh, to her rare ability to infuse chilly futuristic soundscapes with genuine emotion and soul. Uh, and they said that it was one of the year's finest, most progressive pop albums. In general, like I said, I wanted to reference this one because... Uh, I thought that um, she really kind of came back with the force, and I've, 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 I think at least in the United States, in in my own experiences uh, as like a teenager in the early two thousands, uh, was that she, I, I really wasn't like super um, aware of her continuing to do anything, and then when she kind of came back in two thousand and ten with this, I was like, holy shit, uh, 
she's really good. I love this new sound that she has. Um, and she's continued to like make a lot of really great music. Uh, she did mm. a sort of EP with Roy Xop, uh, yes. that was killer. Um, and, um, I'm hoping to hear more things from her for her to like have another like big comeback. Um, because the world I'm is ready sure for more Robin. Will. Oh, I know she will. Yeah. I'm not worried about it. Yeah. Uh, she did that song with Kindness, uh, yes. Who Do You Love, which is uh, an she amazing song. She did another song. EP, like, a couple years ago. She had a song on there with Maluka called Love Is Free. Yes, Love Is which Free, is baby. so good. Yeah, that's yeah. a good one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. More She's like She is, like, the best, uh, like, kind of, of the dance, like, contemporary yeah. dance vocal, like, artists. She absolutely is, which is like why I wish she was just Everywhere, in my face more. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I want to see more Robin DJ sets. I want to see more Robin shows. I want to see more Robin features. I just want more Robin in general. Yeah, Anyways. I think I think her fans do. Like, she definitely has a very solid, rabid, like consistent fan base it's that true. stand for her. It's true. Um, but yeah, yay, What's Robin. Robin. What what? Get what? into it. Body talk. Okay, so my next comeback is from an artist that um, is definitely, like, one of the most legendary, most iconic, and somehow least successful (laughs) recording (laughs) artists of all time. (laughs) Um, Like, commercial-wise, like, chart performance-wise. Like, because everybody knows who Grace Jones is. This is true. Like, she is, without a doubt... Like instantly recognizable. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, maybe you don't know who Grace Jones is. Like, I forget that there's people that were born like in the Two last days ago. twenty years that yeah. don't necessarily know who Grace Jones is. So, yeah. okay, so I'm gonna wind it back for you. Yeah. Um, Grace Jones is this like six foot tall, like dark skinned Jamaican woman. Yeah. Who is like? She's like carved from the same piece of clay that Wonder Woman, I, I assume, was. Like yeah. she is. She's a space alien She's a space from Jamaica. Alien from Jamaica. Um, she emerged in the seventies as a fashion model, and <clears throat> as a sort muse. of as a muse, really, yeah. yeah. Um, and and sort of made her way into music, and um, she's had like numbers of memorable and incredibly influential moments in pop music. Um, pop how, culture just in general and pop culture in general she's a Bond girl in my favorite uh, Bond movie starring my favorite Bond Mr. Timothy Dalton yes but that's another that's story a really unusual favorite Bond but it's a great film I, she was a great Bond yeah, girl she was a great Bond girl it was an awful um, movie but I do love that one She's a great actress. Well, she's not a great actress. She's a she's a movie. She star. looks good on screen. She's a movie. She's star. a movie star. <laughs> um, she was in Boomerang. Yes, she was with Eddie Murphy, uh-huh. which is a phenomenal movie. Phenomenal, like pop I culture. I need to movie. rewatch that movie. Yeah, it's been a I, long I watched time. it recently. It's great. Yeah, yeah. I and Eddie Murphy's clothes in it are phenomenal. I really? basically just want to be Eddie Murphy in that movie. His like his work, like his like like aesthetic in like the early mid eighties was. And t- through to the early nineties. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Like the leather and the PVC, like all like the like yeah, all the shininess. Tight. It was a lot. And boomerang is him in in like a lot of three um, double breasted suits. Yes. Shoulder so, pads. No shoulder, shoulder pads. pads. Yes. Hell yes. All the way. Oh my god. Um, and Grace Jones had had actually how many 
number, how many top 40s do you think Grace Jones has had in the US? <sighs> Two? Zero. Pull Up the Bumper wasn't a top 40 hit? Nope. Really? She said no albums in the top 100 in the United States. In like any chart? Ever. What? She's had um, like five top 40s in the UK. But- <clears throat> But she can sell out the Hollywood Bowl. This is true. She can headline a festival. This is also true. You'll spend all your coins and empty your entire purse to go see her perform. Been there, done that. Yeah. And you, and she's like a super duper duper star, but she's never had any chart like, success. Chart success. No. I think it's also because like she goes to places where she's gonna have fans. She's a like a big city international person. She's not going to like. Perform in like St. Louis. No, she's not doing that. She's a city girl. She's a city gal. Yeah. Um, but like, I mean, it it, that blows my mind though. Like, she's been around forever, and I I just figured that she would have had that. Yeah, that's crazy. I know it was really surprising. Um, she released released like a slew of interesting albums. Uh, My favorite one being uh, Nightclubbing. Night clubbing. Night clubbing. <laughs> Which is a great, honestly, that is a phenomenal album. It's a great Produced album. Produced by Sly and Robbie, recorded in Jamaica. It's like this dubby, disco, reggae, sexy, yeah. like slinky. Yeah. Phenomenal f- I album. I feel like somebody, like, especially the song Night Clubbing, I feel like it's a song that somebody wants to, like, be like, like some BDSM shit's going on. Like, they have, like, somebody just beating the shit out of them and they're just like. <laughs> Like night, night clubbing. clubbing. <laughs> um, yeah, why should we hear a second of that? Yeah, we should. It's a good song. in the rain actually mm-hmm. <laughs> i was like when does this come in because this does not sound like i remember it sounding because i was like i could be absolutely that was walking in the rain from the album night clubbing yes pardon pardon <laughs> it's a good one um but so she released her her last album in 1989 it was called bulletproof heart and if you were around back then and you remember her from honda she was on these honda motorcycle commercials do you remember those no okay google that because that that's a journey that Is you want to take yeah. absolutely she was i mean she was such an iconic brand such mm-hmm. an icon that yeah. she was used to sell all sorts, all of, sorts shit, of shit including honda motorcycles in 1989 that's so funny and the marketing was linked up with her was album. she riding the motorcycles she the mo- 
the, the motorcycles were riding through her. They, that makes way more sense. Through her face. That makes, like, oddly, she's the only person in which that would make sense. <laughs> I'd be like, of course. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, they were, went through her mouth. They're, like, obviously. Obviously. Where else would they go? Well, I know where okay. else they could go, but not on that broadcast television. <laughs> not on the, not on broadcast TV. <laughs> not on NBC. Um, so she decided after 1989 that she wasn't going to make uh, another record and... She'd, she'd actually tried to have several sort of comebacks here and there throughout the 90s and early 2000s, but then said, you know what, I'm never going to do another album until Philip Tracy, um, our mutual friend, Philip Tracy, amazing mm-hmm. hat maker, introduced her to this producer called Ivor Guest, and he played her some tracks that she had, like, lyrics already uh, written, and she, like, set them to one of his productions and one of them was the song Devil In My Life from her comeback album, Hurricane. Speak of the devil and he will appear. bringing the drama the devil in my life um so that was the beginning of that album um it became sort of her most autobiographical album and it was released in 2008 Mm. um almost 20 years after she'd released any original material in album form um and how the album she, she was she signed a record deal with um, Wall of Sound, which is like a UK um, sort of indie label. After she did some shows, she um, played at Massive Attack's Meltdown Festival in 2008. And she performed new songs, signed this record deal, and um, made this incredible comeback album, which commercially obviously didn't sell a boatload of copies because that's not what she it's does. Not what she does. It isn't what she she's does. She's also just like not like a record seller. She's like so much like because so much of her of her as a as an artist is visual. Yeah. Like she's just one of those people that you want to see. She live. makes six to seven figures from a live just show. Just from her live show. Yeah. I mean she kills a live show. I mean yeah. she's like almost in her seventies now. Yeah, she's almost 70. And is like 68. Sitting like and she's on better stage than all your faves. Than all of your faves. Like in heels, platform heels, hula hooping for 25 minutes straight. Yeah. Like when will your fave ever? Um, Pitchfork, wait. who hate everything, actually this had this to say. Um, Joshua Klein from Pitchfork wrote When Grace Jones emerged after a prolonged self imposed exile as part of last summer's Massive Attack curated Meltdown Festival at 60, Fearlessly clad in a corset and thong, she was met with the predictable cries of a comeback. But Joan's performance felt less like a resurrection and more like a return, comet-like. Mm-hmm. After all, how can a personality as huge as Joan's ever really vanish? She might slip off to the slide, but she's never really gone. Mm. And um, I just want to end with this song um, called The William's Blood, which is about her... Her brother's a bishop. Her father was a bishop. Her mother's this like very Christian Jamaican very Christian lady. lady. 
who I've gone to church with. Yeah, so ridiculous. But she had a grandmother on her Williams side that was really, really, really feisty and wild. Yeah. And that's where she thinks she got her... Her feisty wildness from. from the Williams blood. Mm -hmm. It's called Williams blood. (laughs) (laughs) You can't save me. You can't save a wretch like me. Keep up with the Joneses. <laughs> oh, Grace. Um, yeah, I Grace. love that song. I love that woman. Yeah, she's so amazing. Like, if you haven't, like, you should. If if Grace Jones is anywhere near you at any point in time, and you've not gotten a chance to see her, she's definitely somebody worth. Oh, sell out. that coach, sell that hideous coach bag that <laughs> you have it. in your closet. You're not going to use. That you'll never use again. Because. Put it on eBay and go see Grace Go Jones. see Grace. It'll be worth it. She puts on one hell of a show. She's really funny. Uh, and it's just great to see her because she is like a legend, you know? And she's a performance artist. Yeah. Um, and like, yeah, her band's great. Like I said, it's just, a, she's a phenomenal, phenomenal live act and definitely worth checking out. Yay. Yay, Grace. <clears throat> Yay, Grace. Okay. Um, so my next, uh, I guess my final um, uh, comeback album I'm talking about is uh, one of my favorite comeback albums as well. Uh, it is one that was um, uh, not expected, and uh, it was, I guess it was expected, but I guess people didn't expect it to be any good. Uh, and I'm talking about uh, the album 2001 by Dr. Dre. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, which is funny because it was released in 1999. Um, and the, the weird thing is I obviously remember this being released in 1999. But uh, at some point in time, I also just like I always just think that oh, it's Chronic 2001. It came out in 2001. And I remember. Actually, no, it was like two full black ass years beforehand. <laughs> um, and actually, he was wanting to call it... Um, uh, the the Chronic 99, I think it was, or the Chronic 2000, and uh, what ended up happening was Suge Knight, uh, the, you know, <laughs> the forever troll of hip-hop, um, <laughs> w- ended up releasing this uh, compilation album uh, with some, like, Death Row um, affiliates that was not entitled 2000 or something like that. So we ended up having to change it to 2001. 
Um, but anyhow, a little bit of backstory about Dr. Dre. If you're not super familiar with him, he released an album called The Chronic in 1992, which went on to become a massive, massive uh, album. It's widely regarded as one of the most influential albums in hip hop. Um, it's also one of the most incredibly produced albums of that time. Um, in general, The Chronic was ranked uh, at uh, 100 and, number 130. Uh, in Rolling Stone's uh, 500 Greatest Albums of All Time. It's also wow. the first time we heard anything from Snoop Dogg, Corrupt, Nate Dogg, and Warren G. Mm. was all on wow. this album. Uh, he launched those careers. Um, <clears throat> uh, it was an album that went on to define like what the West Coast sound was in the 90s. Uh, and this was like already on the... like This is post-NWA and post-all that shit. Like... Um, he was that his first solo album that was his first solo album mm -hmm. yeah um so it also was like this uh it was a birth of like g-funk as a sound really like in at least in like the 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 mainstream sense like nobody had really kind of worked in that sort of uh sound at all um and in general it was like like i said it was a massive album launched a bunch of careers sold really well was is you know it was an instant classic uh and after that, like, Dre just kind of went into really helping uh, Snoop and Nate Dogg and Warren G and all these different people, like, build their careers. Um, he was the one who helped produce most of their, all of their albums, helped guide them along. Meanwhile, uh, he also finds Eminem uh, and uh, starts his career up as well. So um, everyone thinks, oh, you know, like, music is no longer... Uh, Dr. Dre's thing. In general, like if you like anyone that knows much about Dre, he's an amazing producer, an amazing uh sort of engineer in that sense and being able to put together really great sounds. Mm -hmm. He is not, however, a really great rapper, nor is he <laughs> like a good writer. He doesn't really mm -hmm. write any of his stuff. Um It's so true. I, he's sort of like Diddy in that way. Yeah, he's very much so a Diddy type. He's the West Coast Diddy. He is the West Coast Diddy. Um but like I think a lot of people were just like, oh, you know, like Dre, you know, isn't able to really kind of do that. Doesn't probably want to do that anymore. He's also not necessarily uh, um, ready or I, I think they were just saying like he fell off. He doesn't want to rap anymore. He's not doing that. And everyone kind of just doubted the, his ability to actually like show up in that sense. There was like a, I can't remember what the name of the song was that he released, I think in like 1997 or something like that. That was like <clears throat> that nobody was feeling. They were all just like, "Yeah, this is kind of whack." Uh, what song was that? Let me look it up. Um, okay, so this is a song, "Been There, Done That," that was released in '96, I believe, uh, which was a few years before uh, 2001 ended up dropping. That nobody was really feeling that whatsoever. Mm, my bad. My bad. Me, but your wife we got 20 minutes I've been there done that you got guns yo I got straps oh yeah 
kids on the planet Earth talk that hard because that's all they work. I've been there, I've done that. It's got like a distinctly like Will Smith vibe to it, oh. almost, oh. doesn't it? I've been there. It kind of does. Done that. Um, anyways, uh, that was been there, done that. It wasn't, like I said, it wasn't well received. So people were going off of like the that song sound as like, oh, this is what Dre's about now. Since they thought he was, because uh, been there, done that is essentially his sort of like farewell to gangster rap. He's like saying, I'm over it. I'm no longer doing it. People are like, oh, okay. Um, that's what you're gonna do. That's fine. And then gangster rap was kind of winding down. Oh, it absolutely was. Yeah. Like nobody was really. Um, by 1999, I mean, even I think, Ice Cube was moving on to like backyard boogie oogie oogie. It's true. I mean, like people were getting back into like hip hop was becoming way more mainstream in '99. It was club songs. It was club songs. Yeah. It was turning into fabulous and yes that was like when ll cool j came back around and was doing his shit with j-lo and stuff like that like yeah this is the rise of murder inc which was like not gangster rap necessarily because that was like r&b rap fusion shit uh so like the west coast gangster sound was like going out of style really um and then in um <clears throat> october of 1999 uh Dre uh, surprises everybody and snatches uh, every wig uh, in the industry when he drops uh, the song Still Dre. Yeah, nigga, I'm still fucking with you. Still waters run deep. Still Snoop Dogg and D.I.A. This was 99. 1999. Still doing that shit, Andre. Check me out. still dre i mean it was ubiquitous such a good song yeah like production wise i thought it was earlier than 99 really no i mean that was like a that was 1999 through and through i remember listening to that album for the first time because i was very much so not allowed to listen to it (laughs) uh and my good friend nick uh gotta burn me a copy of it and we would like sit and listen to it like with headphones on and just like I get like super obsessed with <laughs> this song. Uh but like in general, like it was like that song as like your lead single after years of people talking shit about you, uh, and talking about how you're not able to kind of like perform or do much to come through with like such a tightly pr- produced and packaged like song and then an overall album. Like it's uh 
it's like I will say this much about like the album 2001 like it is obviously not without its issues it's a gangster rap album uh it is about um fucking bitches it's about the streets it's about gang shit it's about x y and z but it's from a technical perspective like (laughs) (laughs) from a tech there was no problems technically there are no problems technically (laughs) like it is so well produced like the 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 tracks (laughs) i mean but here's the deal like it was so well produced that like the uh when they released the album sans any lyrics just their instrumental album charted well Mm, wow like it's that well produced. Like this is this is that's what I'm getting at in the sense of saying like technical, that like it was it's so great in that sense. Um, but I want to play a couple other songs, obviously from this because it's uh, it's not without like uh, many many hits. Uh, the second oh, so one, so many hits uh, is, that I wanted to play is uh, God. There's so many on here. So many hits. I'm just trying to figure out which I, I have such sh- a short amount of time. Uh, to cover cover it, so I'm just gonna do like uh, uh, a few because there's like really great songs. This next one is uh, "Forgot About Dre," big song uh, with uh, Snoop and uh, Eminem. Mm. This was like I remember in the like the sixth grade, fifth grade, or something like that. Everybody was no, it was a sixth grade. Everyone was obsessed with learning. Nowadays, everybody wanted that part. Something to say, <laughs> nothing comes out when they move the, the list. list. Just a bunch of different shit, motherfuckers. I forgot about that. See, we can do it. Still same old shit, but I'm in low key. Hated on by most of these niggas with no cheese, no thrills, and no cheese, no wheels, and no keys, no boats, no snowmobiles, and no skis. Mad at me because I can finally afford to provide my family with groceries. Got a crib with a studio and a saw full of tracks to add to the wall full of plaques. Hanging up in the office and back of my house like trophies. Did y'all think I'ma let my dough freeze? Oh please, you better bow down on your knees. Y'all think I'ma let my dough freeze? Oh please, who you think brought you the ODs, Easy E's, Ice Cube's and DOCs, the Snoop Deal Double G's, and the group that said motherfuck the police gave you a tape full of dope beats to bump when you stroll through in your hood. And when your album sales wasn't doing too good, who's the doctor they told you to go see? Y'all better listen up closely. All you niggas that said that I turn pop or the fern flop, y'all are the reason that Dre ain't been getting no sleep. So fuck y'all. <laughs> All of y'all, if y'all don't like me, blow me. Y'all gonna keep fucking around with me and turn me back to the old me. Nowadays, everybody wanna talk, but they got something to say. But the comes out, make you believe it's just a bunch of different shit. Motherfuckers act like they forgot about trade. Nowadays, everybody wanna talk, but they got something to say. But the comes out, when they move their lips, just a bunch of different shit. Motherfuckers act like they forgot about trade. So, what do you say to somebody you hate? Everybody wanna turn to you What if it's all things in the blood of your way? You know what's nice to hear that song not on the radio because. Like when you, they play it on the radio, mm-hmm. there's hardly any lyrics in it. This is very true because every it's other like, word is it's you it to the my I, finger. And, <laughs> 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 oh man, you know what though? No tea, no shade. Yeah, Eminem made that song amazing. He did, he did. Um, if anybody got a chance to watch the, <clears throat> ooh, excuse me, if you got a chance to watch the Defiance. Ones. Oh, I didn't watch it on HBO. You it's actually really good. I mean, I thought it was a little bit like masturbatory, mm. um, but it was still really Are good. You okay, I just like choked on air. It's been a thing. <laughs> 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 it's 
been a thing. It's it's a very 2017 thing. It, it's just that, you know, this Mercury retrograde is making things just as simple as breathing in oxygen. Very difficult for me. So <laughs> y'all put me on your prayer lists. Oh. I'm getting through it, though. But um, in The Defiant Ones, um, there's a little bit talking about uh, when Dr. Dre met uh, uh, Eminem. Uh, it's a really funny story, actually, in the sense that uh, M was at, uh, I, I think, I can't remember what record label he was at. He was sitting there. They said, oh, yo, Dre, Dre wants to meet you. Uh, and they, they're in the studio. He comes in to meet with them, and he's like, hey, I'm just going to play you this track. And then immediately, he, as he starts playing the song, it turns into, hi, my name is, my name is, and he just starts talking. Wow. He just starts saying it, and that's how that song started. That was their very first interaction with each other was he played him a song and then he just started freestyling over it and it became m's like first big single wow yeah it's crazy <clears throat> anyways about can, that, i mean he can rap cup he can couple other songs i'm gonna play and i'm gonna do short ones just because you have to hear it. it's the next episode classic david axelrod uh sample here that uh he That's one. Last one I want to play is um, one of my other favorite songs. Probably my most favorite song on this album. I don't really know why. Um, I feel like 80% of the album was singles. Oh, there are so many good singles on here. I mean, there was, I mean, those four, Explosive was another good one. Um, This one is called Let's Get High. I, I just love this song. This, drinking that, getting it, hoes. Fuck this, I'm hitting that, I'm hitting them both. Have one riding dick, one licking my toes. When I'm loving these hoes, there ain't no love involved. No hugs, no kisses, bare rugs, bare bitches, rare bitches. Like them hoes in them black tail bitches. Bitch jumped off my dick. Is that Dre over there? Yeah, I just took some ecstasy. Ain't no telling what the side effects could be. All these fine bitches equal sex to me. Plus, I got this bad bitch laying next to me. No doubt, set back on the couch. Pants down, rubber on, set to turn that ass out. Laid the bitch out, then I put it in her mouth. Pulled out, nutted on a towel, and passed out. Come on, <laughs> um, So that is... Uh, I mean... Th- like teenage boys love this shit so much this and is, that's why that's why this is like i said this was an album that like i like thoroughly thoroughly was into and i think it was just because it was so salacious <clears throat> to my like 13 14, my 13 year old self um but yeah i want to talk about uh 2001 because a you know it is like i said uh a um, a very well well produced album the songs 
problematic as they may be, are really good. Uh, and it was also um, a a reminder to everyone that Dr. Dre is nobody to fuck with. Mm. Uh, and that if you sleep on Dre, he will remind you eventually. He might not do it in a timely fashion, but he will remind <laughs> you. <laughs> he will remind you. Don't forget um, don't about forget, Dre. Don't forget about him. That's it. Just don't do it. Yeah, this was his. This was his like last and final reminder to just like, <laughs> like stay alert. Don't make me say it again. Don't make him say it again. Stay ready. Just stay if ready. If you stay ready, what You'll, you ain't got to you get ain't got ready. to get ready. This is very true. <laughs> All right, but that's uh, 2001 uh, by Dr. Dre. <clears throat> yeah, that is a great album. Yeah, it is. Um, okay, so I would like to round out the the evening, <laughs> afternoon, day with um, a comeback story that is ultimately just like a very sad story mm. and when i was doing it was kind of a toss-up between um this one or um johnny cash because johnny cash had a really great, great comeback yes, album the american songs or stories yeah, or it was whatever. like all covers and yeah. it was like shortly before he passed. passed away and he hadn't put an album out i don't know how long but it had been a long time he didn't have a record deal at this point in time no it came out yeah and that was a beautiful album. We should just talk about that album separately. Yeah. Eventually. Yeah. Like, I, I would love to. because We I, could do covers albums. Yeah. Ooh. But so I was going to do that one. And then I, I started doing some research about this story. And it really like, this one's about Judy Garland. Oh, and her Dr. Comeback. Dre's a uh, very, very good friend. Very good His friend. very good Judy. His very good Judy. <laughs> <laughs> and um, it really just... It spoke to me more than Johnny Cash mm -hmm. for a number of reasons because I'm a homosexual. <laughs> what? And I don't know what it is about Judy Garland, but gays and Judy Garland are like rainbows and sunshine. Mayonnaise and mustard. Bread and butter. Sunshine and rainbows? Oh, that was a bad one. Ass cracks and seats. <laughs> they just They just go, go together. together. <laughs> <laughs> like Ramalama Ding Dong. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and also, like, there's just something so... I, Judy Garland was like the original Amy Winehouse, really, when I think about mm -hmm. her. Like, she just was sort of never meant to live that long. Yeah. She, like, burned too bright, and she... She had a very sad, very um, rocky, very mm -hmm. tumultuous life, like a lot of, you know, really, really big superstars do that, especially ones that become famous when they're so young. Yeah. You know, like your Michael Jacksons, your Britneys. Um, famous, like, in a way, in like an unsheltered, an not an un in an unprotected sense, you know, that like... Yeah. And, ex and, and exploited to. Well, yeah, Is she was the cash word? cow. Yeah. yeah, she was like the cash cow for the family. Yeah. Um, so Judy Garland, she, um, emerged as an, as a young actress. I think she was around 12 or 13 when she signed with MGM mm -hmm. as a child star. And, um, because of the schedule, the shooting schedules that they used to have then, they were sort of like really abusing these young children, uh, children, actors and actresses mm -hmm. and singers and whatnot. Um, she was on a bunch of speed pills, basically, so she could work all day and yeah. still do her school work because they had um, tutors on set. Mm -hmm. And sleeping pills so that she could go to sleep. And diet pills. And diet pills because they were constantly telling her that she was fat. 
Um, so she, she, that was the beginning of her life and her career. I wonder how America developed an opioid addiction. <laughs> because of Judy Garland. <laughs> because of Judy Garland. <laughs> I think Donald Trump um, would like to believe that. Yeah. Well, it's <laughs> definitely because of the gays. It's definitely the gays started the opioid addiction. <laughs> no, um, it's crazy that, like, she, uh, I mean... The whole story, I mean, there's a really great podcast called uh, You Must Remember oh, yes. This. Very good. Um, and they, in the in the, the host, um, God, I'm forgetting her name, and she says it every fucking episode. Yeah, that, um, her. Karina. Karina Abdul-Jabbar. <laughs> something like that. She's great. Um, but she talks, uh, it, more and more than just, she does, she covers an episode of Judy, really, like, it's a really great episode, but it's also that, um, uh, talking about in, in separate instances just how uh, intense like the schedules for child stars were back in like the golden age and like it to me so it feels like Judy just had got the worst of it because yeah. she was never good enough and she, she was like, never good enough despite being the biggest star yeah she was always kind of mousy yeah um, she didn't have the like slim figure and the cheekbones and the curve like. The, the figure. The sexiness. And also, yeah. back then, she was considered to be not that great of a singer and not that great of an actress. Yeah. Um, compared to a lot of her other MGM stars at the time. Mm-hmm. But then she really broke out with, um, in 1939 with The Wizard of Oz, which is, like, one of the biggest, most successful and, like, most beloved, beloved movies of yeah. all time. Um. And so I think she was like 16 when she did that film. Yeah. 17, something like maybe. Something mm-hmm. like that. Um, and obviously was hugely successful. She won an Academy Award for that movie. It was like a, a special Academy Award that they gave to young people. Yeah. It wasn't like Best Actress. It was like best Achievement newcomer. for yeah. being young and yeah. amazing. Yeah. Um, and then she continued to have um, a successful film career into the 40s with um, Meet Me in St. Louis, other musical movies. And she developed this um, reputation of being really difficult to work with because I think she'd, she was obviously an alcoholic and a mm-hmm. drug addict even at that point. Um, she'd had problems with her weight. She was getting ill and calling in sick to work a lot and getting in fights and having violent outbursts and stuff. Mm. And, um, in, so she'd kind of been a bit washed up towards the end of the forties and the beginning of the fifties and her and her husband, I think it was like her third husband. She was married five times. Really? Yeah. Damn. Yeah. Not surprising. Um, so her and her husband in 1954, they planned her big comeback, which was the movie, A Star is Born for Warner Brothers. Which was a big movie. Which was a huge movie. And actually, they're remaking it. You know they're remaking it with Gaga? Yeah, I was at Coachella watching her. Yeah, girl, I was right next to you. Yes, you were. <laughs> uh, no, but like, in the, yeah, watching that scene in the back like with uh, fucking Bradley Cooper. Oh, you were watching day. that? Yeah. Oh, they were filming behind the yeah, scenes at Coachella. Yeah, they were filming Coachella. behind the scenes at Coachella. It was oh, yeah. like a whole, whole thing. Uh, yeah, so they're redoing. I am not looking forward to that. It's going to be... Do you think it'll some, be good? I don't know. I'm going to stay out of that. Yeah. We'll um, it could be. Mm. I mean, like, this is the third, fourth time they're making this movie now. 
Is it the fourth? Because well, Judy's was the second time. Oh, Judy's was the second? Yeah. They and made one Barbara before, Streisand. and then Barbara's was the third. I feel like, however, Judy's is... The best. The... Yeah. It's the... It's it the, is the best. It's the it's Because nobody version. saw the first one. No one saw the first one. Uh, the, I didn't even know there was a first the one. The Chris Christopherson, Barbara Streisand one was just basically Chris Christopherson and Barbara Streisand, and they're, like, in a relationship. Yeah. Um... I didn't even know. But yeah, this The Star is Born. And, and oh, so A Star is Born at the time it was made was the most expensive film ever made. What? And she was also the highest paid actress ever at the time. Wow. And it was only $100,000 she got paid. Damn. But that's back a, then that was that's like a lot of money. That was a lot of money. Yeah. Um and because it was such an expensive <laughs> film, it actually was is considered a flop even though it was um nominated for several academy awards didn't she win an academy award for well here's the thing she was definitely favored to win best actress and everyone was expecting her to win she couldn't be at the ceremony because she was sick Mm -hmm. and the award actually went to grace kelly for the country girl and this is and i want to read this the camera crew was packing up before kelly could even reach the stage because they thought Judy was going to win. win and they were all disappointed. And Groucho Marx sent Judy a telegram after the awards ceremony declaring her loss the biggest robbery since Brinks. Um, <laughs> Time labeled her performance as just about the greatest one, one woman show in modern movie history. She won the Golden Globe Award for Best Actress in a Musical Role. I mean, if you so not, weirdly, like, it was a hit and a flop. Yeah, I mean. Without a doubt, her performance in that movie was fucking bonkers. It's phenomenal. It's so good. It is. I mean, she. I feel like because it's really her. Yeah. Like a woman on the woman on a brink on the brink. Well, I think the strange thing is, uh, a lot of people only, especially like in our generation, really only know Judy Garland as Dorothy from The Wizard of Oz. That's true. And I think to watch a movie like A Star Is Born, where she's like a grown ass woman. Like a grown ass woman and dealing with grown ass issues and problems. Um, it's, and then also just like with like such conviction and then like the, but ha- here's music. the thing. How old do you think she was when she made that? In that movie? Probably in her like third, like late 30s. She was only 32. Really? Cause she looked. She had been through it. Yeah. She, she was 32. Fuck. 32. Damn. Yeah. She did not look that she did not look that age. No. Not uh, by today's standards. Not by today's standards. I guess yeah. fillers weren't a thing and And she was really she was like a huge She had been through a lot. She was a huge pill popper and alcoholic. So yeah. she so coming off of that, I think she was very deflated because she didn't make the money. She couldn't afford to pay the taxes and she thought she would be making a lot of residuals from mm-hmm. the money that the movie the would make, make yeah. but it didn't make any money because it was so expensive. So she ended up filing bankruptcy and she owed the IRS a bunch of money. And um, I didn't know it was the most expensive made at movie the time. made to that point. Yeah, That's yeah. crazy. Yeah, it was a it was a really expensive film. I guess I don't. I'm trying to. I'm thinking. I mean, it's been a while since I've seen well, it. The production <laughs> kept going on and oh, on and on because yeah, she, kept she kept getting sick. sick. Yeah. So they yeah, were yeah, over yeah. budget. That's why. Because I was like, this. It doesn't look like. I mean, it looks like a good, like a big, but like a, a decent budget movie, but not like the most. There it's was not a like lot Cleopatra of or some shit. No. Um, but the production was delayed and delayed and delayed because oh, she's she a mess. Was, she was a mess. Um, 
then, so she started doing some Vegas shows. She needed to make some money. She started doing, in 1956, she started doing shows on the Las Vegas Strip at the New Frontier Hotel for $55,000 per week, making her the highest paid entertainer to work in Las Vegas. Get that fucking money, Up Judy. until that point. Hell yeah. So again, she was the biggest paid and yeah. still, like, she was terrible with money. Mm-hmm. She would buy lavish things and not pay her taxes, get divorced, lose half of her money to the ex Like she constantly mm-hmm. was going through this thing of like being the highest paid and not having any money. Yeah. <laughs> like Nicolas Cage. <laughs> <laughs> Don't talk about Nick that way. Um, it's more of a Johnny Depp situation, wouldn't you say? No, I would, I would say Nicolas Cage. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> um, in the late... 50s um she was doing another tour she continued to sort of do like club shows and tours and and she got good reviews people Mm -hmm. loved going to see her she was a great entertainer um but in the she was doing shows in the uk in the late 50s and she got she was hospitalized and diagnosed with acute hepatitis damn um she lost several quarts of fluid and she was told that she would never sing again and that she would be semi-invalid and that she'd be dead within five years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Hilarious. It's like, it's not funny. I just imagine like some like a doctor being like, so Judy, um, got some bad news. You'll never sing again. But wait, you'll also be an invalid and never be able to move again. But, but the good wait. news is... But the good news is you'll be dead in five years. So, so it doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter. really matter. It'll be over before you know it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I feel like a lot of people, a lot of... I, I The whole you'll never sing again thing <laughs> is like a thing that like doctors like to throw out quite a bit. <laughs> like, didn't Julie Andrews have the same thing said to her? You'll never sing again. Yeah, and it's true. But she sings occasionally. And she can't sing anymore. Like, not like sang, sang, but like... Well, she had vocal surgery that yeah. ruined her vocal cords. God, that is a shame because her I voice know. is. I know. Was fucking ridiculous. But at least she has her life together. This is true. This is very um, true. So, but she. This is what she. She said she initially felt relieved because the pre- the pressure was off for the first time in my life. That was a quote. Mm. Um, however, she recovered and bounced back over the next several months. And in August of that year, she returned to the stage in the UK. And she and they loved her and she loved it so much that she said she was going to move there. Mm. Um, but she was in so much debt still uh, to the IRS that she had to come back and do another tour in the United States. Um, she had been you know, in hospital for a long time. She had lost a lot of weight. She was on vocal rest. And... In 1960, she returned to the stage with a show called Just Judy, and it started to build momentum. And eventually, she did a two-night stint at Carnegie Hall, which was recorded for an album. And it it was like, it's like one of those legendary nights Mm -hmm. that is just like everyone that was there raves about, and the reviews were crazy, and... It was like a two-hour concert, mm. and here's a, here's a clip from it.
That you dare to dream Really do come true Fuck. I mean, <clears throat> it's crazy how, like, like, a song that, like, she she made into a song in general when it first came out and, like, the difference that, like, those years can oh, yeah. can take into, like, that song, it just it feels so much more yeah, I mean, bittersweet like with the 30, weight of thirty, 30 years something on years. it. You oh know? yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that was probably one of the things that people responded to so strongly in the recordings was that humanity. Yeah, because listen to this, um, the double album was an enormous bestseller, charting for 73 weeks on the Billboard what? charts, including 13 weeks at number one. Damn. It won four Grammy Awards, off, including Album of the Year, which made her the first female to ever win what? Album of the Year. <laughs> oh, it's crazy. Isn't that crazy? That is bananas. Like, this was a huge comeback. And it wasn't even new music. It wasn't even new music. <laughs> That's bananas. Yeah. Um, wow. The New York Times stated, indeed, what actually was to have been a concert was also, and was, also turned into something not too remote from a revival meeting. The recorded applause on the album is lengthy and loud and illustrates the energetic connection between Garland and her fans. Um someone said she had a force field of energy around her on the stage. Um, the people that were in the crowd were Carol Channing, Lauren Bacall, Henry Fonda, Richard Burton, Spencer Tracy, Julie Andrews, Rock Hudson, Mike Nichols, um, Leonard Bernstein, Anthony Perkins, Phyllis Newman, on and on tons and on. And tons of people. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> the record came out two months after. And it was just like, yeah, phenomenal Phenomenal success. I'm gonna love you like nobody's loved you. Come rain or come shine. High as a mountain, deep as a river. Come rain or come shine. When you met me, it was just one of those things. But don't ever bet me, cause I'm gonna be true if you let me. You're gonna love me like nobody. Bongo Man is going in. Yeah, he is. Like, he has not stopped yet. Nope. <laughs> Drum and bass. <laughs> I love that everybody else has, like, this swing going on, and he's just <laughs> probably sweating his ass off in that back. He's like... We're in, or we're out. 
Yeah. So I know like the album is is pretty like outside our general wheelhouse and even outside of our century, our lifetime, and yeah. pretty much. Yeah, that's not that's not in our that's not our ministry, right no. there. No, but I just found it so um, the story so um, beautiful and bittersweet, mm-hmm. and the performance actually really incredible. There, um, I think it's just like the thing that I I, I find most kind of. <sighs> like touching about like Judy obviously the fact that like her story is just really devastating in general uh and just like how awful she was treated um and how poorly she was protected and supported um but her her voice is just I mean like it everyone in this country knows Judy Garland's voice. I mean, we all grew we all grew up hearing Somewhere Over the Rainbow. We mm. all have that. Like, everybody has that connection, I think. Um, and it's something that, like, mm. um, I think all, like, like, really, like, not many people can say that they've been able to continuously affect generation after generation after generation so after generation with, yeah. with their music or yeah. with their art. And it's crazy to, like look at to like listen to that record especially like as you were playing somewhere over the rainbow and like you said like it's so different and it's sung by the same person but a completely different person in the same token that it's like someone that know, has been through so been much through some at shit. the other end of it yeah and that whole that whole show is just like this person whom like everyone in that room knew her story. They mm-hmm. knew all the shit that she had gone through, all of like the peaks and the valleys and the divorces and the and births they were rooting and the deaths. For her. And they were all rooting for her. And they all like they all felt that we were rooting for you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we were all rooting for you. But they really were. They like, really were. Um, but it's just it's crazy that like she was like she was giving all that. And like and you can hear it all in her voice. And this fucking song and this is when I lost it when I was doing my research. This fucking song. I just want to end with this one, yes. the man that got away. From a star is born. Because if it's a beautiful song. The night yeah. is bitter. The stars have lost their glitter. The winds grow colder. Suddenly you're older. sang the shit out of that she sang the shit out of this song if you've not heard that song before and i don't actually think a lot of people like are like super familiar with the star is born or it's that song. long it's a long ass movie but it's definitely worth watching yeah um but this the scene in the movie like when she sings this song i 
Um, I remember watching when I was a little kid and just being like really enamored by her performance in it. Um, it's it's I don't know. It's really beautiful. I think um, it is a f- phenomenal performance, and I think what makes me love Judy Garland so much is th- that she's able to sh- display such a full range of humanity because I think she. She's experienced so much of it. She's experienced a lot of So shit. many highs, so many lows. Mm-hmm. She's got the full range of the palette of emotions. She has the to range. Draw from. She has, she fucking has the she range. She invented the range. She, she actually <laughs> may have. <laughs> I don't see any evidence pointing otherwise. She, she may have invented it. So, um, respect and, um, and, um, kisses to heaven to Judy. Oh, and one more thing that, that they mentioned in that podcast is, mm-hmm. you know, Judy Garland died in 1969, mm-hmm. about eight years after this was recorded, of a drug overdose um, or a liver failure, liver I think. Failure. Yeah. And no, it was liver, like it was a drug overdose and liver, liver failure, failure, I think. Yeah. Like a double whammy. Yeah. In London. Um, and the day that she was buried, the, the day that her funeral was in New York City, was the same day as the Stonewall riots. Mm-hmm. And they, the um the woman was saying suggesting not that she had incited the riots themselves but mm-hmm. because the mood was such in the city yeah the, such loss oh people had had it yeah but she, she also <laughs> was talking about how people were at stonewall that night because, because judy, had died. judy had died they were all congregating there to yeah. kind of commemorate and celebrate her uh and the mood as you said were just like we've had enough like yeah. You know, our our the lady of our gaze is uh, no longer with us. And yeah. then the police came in there to try and start some shit. And they're like, you picked the wrong fucking day, the wrong fucking day. And thus, you know, began the modern gay rights movement, which I think is pretty incredible. It's nuts. It's yeah. nuts. Um, it's uh, like I said, you uh, definitely check out the episode of um, You Must Remember This, that she talks about Judy. Uh, and her life and the effects of her death um because it's really uh it's it's really um it's a very sad episode um she plays a lot of clips from her uh own self recordings of her uh, uh for as she was writing her autobiography and it's really really devastating like yeah. just hearing her talk about her life and the issues that she's had and the things that she's overcome um it's uh, yeah. it's a it really moved me. Yeah. So if you go listen to that and then listen to this double album of her life at the Carnegie Hall and you still haven't cried, you may never cry. Just go talk to a therapist, maybe, or you can do <laughs> like just read some Foster Kid like bios, <laughs> or go on Pet Finder. <laughs> and Pet if you still Finder. can't find those tears, you should just you need to go to find talk to somebody professionally. We're we're we can no longer help you at this point in time. Yeah. But hey, those but are comeback hey, albums. Yes. Boom. Um, that was a lot, but um, yeah, lots of really, Hopefully really good Hopefully you with records. us oh, or paused and so. came back. <laughs> Probably you're just like, that was a whole bunch. <laughs> but um, thanks for uh, listening once again. Um, thanks, Ayanna Butler, thanks, for Ayanna um, Butler being for our music being supervisor. Our music supervisor. Yes. If we fucked up and didn't get something quite right... <laughs> 
I mean, yeah, duh. <laughs> Deal with it. it. Happens. Sorry, not Do you sorry. know which podcast you're listening to? <laughs> I mean, do you even know where you are right now? We do the bare minimum and not nothing more. Um, um, no, you can email us, con- uh, contextofsound at gmail.com. And then we're on Twitter as well, at contextofsound. Um, you can, uh, please, if you can, please rate and subscribe and tell all of your friends, your homeboys and homegirls, uh, about the context of sound. Uh, and yeah, uh, we will talk at you soon. Yes, queen.